I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, have a good week. Uh, have a good week. Uh, have a good week. Week, week, week. Week. It is Sunday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Bowl, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Yo, yo. Chris Hennage is here as well. Hey. And Dave is here for the first 10 minutes at least because, Dave, you don't have internet connection right now. Why is that? I don't know. I'm living in living in poverty at the moment, Adam. I've just moved house, and okay. unfortunately, the internet line has not been sorted out yet. So I'm in and out. I've got fun at the moment, and it's just one of those things that sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, very similar to Manchester United this season. We're now dialing you up through the ancient magic of your phone, essentially, um, and somehow recording it. But that's that's modern technology, guys. But anyway, Dave's going to be joining us for the, the Man United chat, of course. Uh, the big game this weekend, Chelsea-Man United. We're also going to be talking Man City, Southampton, all the other Premier League fixtures. We're going to be going around Europe as well and giving you a little update on some of the results and storylines there. And also looking ahead to, I believe it's called the, is it the EFL Cup now? They've, they've rebranded the League Cup to some exciting games there as well but while we've got Dave there's only one place to start and that is at Stamford Bridge a bad day for Jose Mourinho Dave 4-0 to Chelsea in the end uh, Mourinho obviously returning to his former club presumably with a game plan similar to that he deployed at Anfield Monday night only for some individual errors from Daley Blind and arguably David De Gea leading to a goal within 30 seconds undoing it all Dave Yeah I think so I think you've got to throw Chris Small into that mix as well because if you, you look at his positioning, you look at it, how he shifted towards David Bind and went away from David Bind and how he potentially could have cut the ball out that came over the top. I think he's definitely thrown into the, the mix there. You know, individual errors really cost United, especially in that first half. You know, again, the, the corner, Chris Smalling switches off again. He has a moment to, to, you know, clear it, but he stops looking at the ball. It's very strange from Chris Smalling. I just think this potentially identifies that there are some of these Man United players that aren't, you know, are good enough to, to win a Premier League and hence Man United are only going to progress when the you know replacements are bought or there's some young players coming through the youth team that could replace them. It just, I think this is a real test for Manchester United, and they've not passed it at all. They, they played well against Liverpool, but you know the whole game against Chelsea, they were very, very poor. But the point is, when they try and match up, Dave. I mean, when they actually try and match up with the team, and I don't mean sit six men behind a ball and then um, you know defend, then they were not up to scratch at all. And I mean at all. But they did what they did go into defend. The issue was they conceded another goal, which blew away the game plan. The plan was very simple. They were going to go, you know, four-five-one. They were going to pack midfield. They were going to make that bank of six again, and they were going to have three midfield to deal with Chelsea's runners and Chelsea's men in midfield. It was a simple game plan. The game, game plan potentially would have been effective if they had conceded that first goal. But a lapse in concentration again from Daily Blind 
you know, the second time in a big game, the first one, Martin City could have cleared the ball uh, for their first goal. And again, he's had a bit of an issue um, dealing with Pedro. You know, he, he makes a mistake of being behind the centre-backs. You know, when the ball comes, he then loses his man, doesn't, you know, make an effort to really stay with him, completely loses him again. It's just, it's poor, poor defending. And again, Luke Shaw has to be back in the team uh, for the game midweek, 1,000%. It's just not good enough. And then Eric Bay, that's a massive blow hearing from the media so it's not looking for United at the moment mm, I mean Chris Dave's talking there about how that early goal did offset Manchester United's game plan. Chelsea sort of picked them off in the second half on the on the counter but in terms of their performance I mean they look fresher that may well be the lack of European football that's benefiting them in the league but they're looking impressive under Conte we spoke last week about the success he's found setting up under this 3-4-3 formation and it's now three wins in a row in the Premier League without a single goal conceded yeah, <clears throat> um, I, th- I think the thing that concerns me about this is that Man United were undone by a team that really, I don't think, got into full gear. Um, I think Chelsea were impressive in moments, but not consistently. And I don't think they had to get out of, of maybe even second gear to, to really overcome Man United. They, they were very easily dispatched. And a lot of the defending, a lot of the just understanding between the players was nowhere near the level of a team that wants to achieve what they want to achieve. If anything, it was around mid-table, I would argue. That's where you would expect a team that plays like that to finish. And yet, this has been the summer in which they've broken so many records financially and, and with transfers and all this kind of stuff. So it, it does feel a little bit like the bubble has deflated. I'll be curious to see or curious to hear actually what, what Dave thinks of it all relative to the rest. Um, I'll set it up in case Dave didn't hear that. Um, I mean, Dave, Chris makes an interesting point there. I mean, the Chelsea fans themselves were singing, you're not special anymore. Jose Mourinho, you're only six points off the top at the end of the day. But seeing the way Chelsea are performing under Conte, seeing the way City started under Pep, albeit, you know, uh, less so in recent weeks. I mean, Dave, are you, are you worried at all about uh, Manchester United? No, there's a number of players that need to bet into the, the football club, Paul Potter included. You know, he's a player of extreme talent. Written off, you know. <laughs> Go back and watch any of his uh, games in the first 10 for Juventus last season and then watch the uh, remaining 28 that he played after that and you'll see a different player, a player that needs confidence and a player that's not potentially uh, fitting in at the moment, you know, didn't, it doesn't suit a two and was played in a in a two, uh, you know, from the whole second half onwards. Didn't do enough in a three and failed to create a chance in the game. But still, he has talent. And it's one of these things with the English media and especially Man United fans that's getting pretty negative on Twitter with Paul Pogba. And that's not going to help anything for Man United fans to start attacking him as well as the rest of the media. They should be getting behind him. But he just needs, he needs, a, he needs a run of good performances and I think that'll come. It'll, it's just adjusting to a new life but it's also Mourinho tinkering with the system. I think if, if United had played the system they played against Liverpool if they'd gone with a 4-4-1-1 with Pogba off Zofany Rubic they would have had more luck um, in the game. You know, they did go for a, with Herrera sitting and then the two central midfielders ahead of him and that didn't quite work at all. You know, I understood it in terms of how they want to press Conte and um, Ivanovic not Ivanovic sorry Conte and Matic but gave United nothing on the counter-attack with the, with the wide forwards tracking back they have no outlet. With Pogba against Liverpool, they had an outlet there. You know, United hit him 11 times uh, from the back with long balls and he won seven of those uh, aerial duels. So that's a big thing compared to having no outlet. Last time he again, was on the peripheral of the game, didn't have a good game at all. He's another player that needs to up his, up, up his performance and, and start getting back to the form of the, the start of the season. But it just collectively wasn't good enough for United. I think there's 
you know, defensively, they were poor. Flame looked knackered as well. Flame looked like he'd, you know, run a marathon before today. So it's confusing that maybe the team selection was a little bit wrong considering how, you know, they play midweek, they play Liverpool on Monday night. You know, maybe some fresh blood needed to be in there. You know, the likes of Anthony Martial would have been perfect to run up Chelsea's back three. And that's something United didn't do enough was attack the two outside centre-backs. And it was so frustrating because that's how you get out of back three. is you pull them wide, you dribble at them, you be very direct against them. And United could have done that. They could have just left three players up top. They could have left Rotham, Lingard and... Um, and Rashford up top and, and broken that way if they wanted to set the midfield up like they did. And that was the confusing thing. There was too many different thoughts from Mourinho when, you know, he, he didn't really stick with one thing. There were so many different things going on with his system that he kind of forgot that we need to score a goal there. You know, we're not going to win a game of football without scoring a goal. And I think that's something that he's definitely got to address. But there's definitely a solution there. And that's Henry McTillian. And I think he'll, you know, as soon as he's brought into the side and as soon as he can get to, you know, get back to his form of last season, then, United have a real asset. You know, again, Lingard and Rashford, they didn't do enough on the ball. And if they're playing mm. wide midfield from United, you've got, you've got to do a bit more than they did. You know, Lingard is a wonderful player, but he's a player that isn't going to pick the ball up and deep and drive and, and take people on. And that's exactly what United need, needed. And, and Rashford is, you know, last few games, he's looked very poor out wide. He's not, not done anything with the ball. He's, he's looked across far too early, whether that is an instruction that he's got. But he's, he doesn't have the best delivery. And what I like to see him going is to the byline, but he seems to be hitting like the, the full-back area outside the box and just crossing it. So it's all confusing at the moment for Man United and they, need, they definitely need to work on it, especially in the final third. Mm. Individual mistakes and, and potentially some mistakes from Mourinho though, Lawrence. Obviously, he was the focus today, none more so at the end of the game, mm-hmm. where he seemed to take exception to Antonio Conte's celebrations for the, the fourth and final goal. He approached the Chelsea manager at the end of the game and in Italian, is reported to have said, it's my opinion but you do it at 1-0, not at 4-0. That's humiliation for us, in reference, of course, to the celebrations. <laughs> I found that interesting. I would have gone the other way around. I think Mourinho's there looking to uh, draw attention to himself. Um, I think Mourinho is showing how f- fragile um, mm. maybe he is, and maybe at times Manchester United have been in recent years. One thing that it was very clear under Sir Alex was that they were a robust side. They have robust players in there, almost... I don't want to say it. they're not idiots, but I mean, people who are very sort of um, st- not stupid, um, but not um, the, the cleverest of guys uh, or people who are clever enough to realise when to be robust. And I think United do lack a few characters like that at the moment. Mourinho's trying to draw attention away from that um, because essentially if you did it at 1-0, one nil, one nil, you may be celebrating a win too soon. Uh, and if you do it at 4-0, I also think maybe Mourinho is totally thinking about it from a Manchester United perspective. Um Whereas actually he's a manager away from home and Chelsea are the hosts and they can pretty much do whatever they want. Um, that's, but that's what I mean in terms of, you know, some people have said it was a distraction tactic from... No, absolutely, it absolutely take. is. There, there's no way it isn't. I mean, but you not think he was really... Uh, it seemed to me like his irritation was genuine. I mean, that was his heaviest ever Premier League defeat. Yeah, but I think uh, that's, him, that's, him, that's him diverting. To, that's to him diverting onto there. those. Yeah, but he's diverting onto that. I mean, it was his heaviest ever defeat, like you say. I also think he doesn't quite have answers for some of the questions that are being asked of him at the moment or doesn't want to answer those questions publicly. And at the same time, Perhaps. It, I just it, like it's, it, it, it almost it, gives him too much credit to say it was a distraction tactic. I feel like no, I, I don't even mean it. So I don't know if it's always a conscious thing for Mourinho. I think that very mm. often Mourinho is, is comes across as a, you know, some people think it's a conscious thing. I think sometimes he is just, he's almost become a, 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 he's almost gone a little bit too far. If you like into Mourinhoisms. Um, and I think yeah. Conte is more than more than right to be able to celebrate whatever else because he's also got his own his own ideas and his own 
uh, stories and his own relief there, which obviously Chelsea have been, um, been I think they've been put through the mill in um, the press in recent weeks in London. So, um, mm. you know, I, I think that there's a great amount of relief around Stamford Bridge that they got a result like this because I think pregame they saw themselves as underdogs. I mean, Dave, before we let you go, it was only in 2014-15 that Manchester United have collected fewer points after their first nine Premier League games of a season this campaign. I mean, it's not going great for Mourinho so far. We've, of course, got the the League Cup fixture against Manchester City coming up in midweek. He's already said it's not a priority for Manchester United, but how are you expecting him to approach this one with the pressure on? Well, I think we're completely forgetting that Pep Guardiola's had a pretty bad run of form as well, getting absolutely spanked by Barcelona and again drawing against um, Southampton in the Premier League in the early kickoff. Again, Guardiola was absolutely nutty playing a 3 2 4 1 again. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Three centre backs with two defensive midfielders worked for Bayern because one of those defend one of those defensive midfielders was a fullback, so they just drift naturally back into the fullback uh, position and they'd make a back four. Guardiola doesn't have that at Manchester City and he continues with his back three. With them playing Sane and, and uh, Sterling in the sort of wing-back positions, he's going to just keep getting beat because Premier League teams are better than some German teams in, in being direct and, and you know pressing teams, and especially like Nathan Redmond, just cause them all sorts of trouble. But yeah, I think it's a big game for both managers. I think they're both under a bit of pressure and whoever loses is going to be under even more pressure. I think Mourinho's done a good job since coming. I think he's had to change a lot of you know, feeling around Man United is going well. I think, again, going back to the United fans, they've got a bit of responsibility here not to turn this into another Lou Van Gaal or David Moyes situation. They need to get behind the manager. It's all, about Lou, it's all about Mourinho at the moment. And Mourinho will turn Man United around. Time. I'm glad that you mentioned um, David Moyes because Mourinho's now had a worse start to his Manchester United career than David Moyes results-wise. It doesn't matter, you know. You're comparing the games that they played, you know, the opposition that they faced, the away games they played. You know, played City, played Chelsea away, they played uh, Liverpool away. I think it's it's all well and good comparing the first the first fifteen games or whatever. But if it's not not the same opposition, you might as well you know you can say anything, can't you? Really, it's all relative. At the end of the day, it's it, all it, is, it is all relative, but it does sound a lot like um... <laughs> it's one of those great stats you can use to to hammer someone with and, and hammer a certain team. But, I mean, um, I, mean no, I, could no say, one... I could I could say something like that. I could say I could drop the the Paul Pogba one more tackle than the player on the pitch against Chelsea, which again is an impressive stat. But then if you look at the track into the the first fourth goal, it just completely switched off. One of those things, eh? But I mean, I guess what my, my and I think Mourinho is very much a manager of results and sort of claims that you know how he gets towards those results almost doesn't really matter when he when you have those end product. And I think a lot of Manchester United fans and a lot of Manchester United pundits also said that. And the, the difference between maybe Guardiola drawing against Southampton, which by the way is a draw, not a loss, and Mourinho losing quite conclusively against um, Conte is that it's quite clear which direction Pep Guardiola is going, and it seems very much like Mourinho's in the woods at the moment with this United side. So the difference between the two managers is actually quite stark. It's that Pep Guardiola has got a, a clear um, management vision and he's clearly trying to put that into the side. Whereas this United side looked all at sea at, at different times. I'd, I mean, you know, it, it's all well and good people from outside the club it, saying that. It does, that. but I think, I think, I think both, both managers have suffered for individual errors and, and players actually bottling it at the wrong time. You know, we've already mentioned the United players have bottled it. We can add... You know, just to, to that, we can add John Stones and then we can add Kolarov midweek. You know, if these players didn't mentally have a little bit of a block or a massive lapse in concentration, both managers would have different results. I think that's a yeah, big thing. Yeah, it would just be too you know, late to it, it is. 
well, well, it, it potentially wouldn't be 2-0 because that's the thing, you know, when, when you lose that first goal, your mentality has to completely change and that's a big, big thing. And the second goal was a, well, the second goal was a concentration thing and then the third and fourth goal came as a result of Man United getting hit on the break. So that's the kind of thing in football, the first goal is massive and because United's concentration in those first 30 seconds wasn't there, it cost them in the game and it serves them right. Weren't good enough. Weren't good enough. With that, Dave, we're going to wave goodbye to you. We'll see you on Wednesday after... Uh, the United City game, and where I'm sure we'll be talking about Mourinho and Guardiola then. Sweet. <laughs> see you later. I'll see you in a bit. Bye. Bye, Dave. There he goes. Uh, you enjoyed doing Dave that. Dave um, I mean, it, I've got to admit, it, some of what Dave said, all of what Dave says there is right. It's very difficult. You don't ever really want to argue against Mourinho or Manchester United because it would be silly. But at the same time, there were shades of full-time devils there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you raised a good point in terms of Manchester City drew one all at home. Yes, they're, they're going for a, a, a run of five games out win, but I think the 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 measure of the two runs that both teams run are different in terms of 4-0 against his former club is always going to be an embarrassing result for Manchester United. Um, but I mean, talking about Manchester City, before we come on to Guardiola uh, and some of the the problems that he's having at the moment, Let's focus on Southampton because we always focus on what you know the favourites got wrong. But in terms of the Saints, Chris, I mean, Claude Puel got his spot on today. I mean, they've been very impressive. Shaky start, two points from four games, but now unbeaten in their last five. And they're now eighth, just a point behind United, Chris. Yeah, I thought they were quite impressive. Um, I thought their performance, it's the kind of performance that you associate with a team near the top. Um and I think overall, there's a there's a lot of positives to take from it. Um, it was a mistake, though, at the end of the day, that, that led to the Southampton goal. Lawrence, John Stones trying a back pass to company, sort of, uh, some suggestion it could have been company's mistake. The pass itself wasn't great, more towards Bravo, potentially. Stones himself, though, has now made four errors leading to goals since the start of the season. Yeah. He's getting his own criticism, but do you see the fault lying with Guardiola, this insistence on playing out from the back? They sometimes do get themselves into trouble. We've seen that this season, and the fans themselves seem to be frustrated with the tactics in the first half. Uh, no, I see what I mean. The, the fans, it is interesting. I spoke to another fan, a uh, Man City fan on a podcast, who said that there is a sense of entitlement to all these City fans now, which comes across a little bit strange because obviously of what they remember very in their very recent history as City fans if they have very recent history as City fans, if they weren't those City fans in the first place, they might not have that um, uh, context. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, in playing out from the back, you are there are going to be moments when you make mistakes. You would hope that the, play, the players are of a quality that you would have players who do not make those mistakes or their decision-making gets to a certain level. That will change over time uh, with young players. I think it's the same for, like Dave was saying, the same for Mourinho as it is with... Um, Guardiola that um, drilling it into the players the decisions that you want them to make and then following through those decisions uh, and I think it seems quite clear that in the past we have seen that players have struggled or suffered in Guardiola systems because of that, some of their decision making and then maybe not committing uh, to, to those moves because they're unsure Klopp speaks about it as well I think a number of top managers speak about it now is it, it, removing that decision making process or making it as minimal as possible so you know almost automatically what to do Klopp says playing from the gut is um, the, the almost the German phrase for it I imagine there's a similar thing with Guardiola so I think that he would imagine and, and uh, visualise that he can coach that out 
of John Stones in time. Mm, you'd be confident he would do that at the moment. However, it's not going too well, Chris. They're stuttering a little bit. Ten wins in a row at the start of the season. As I said before, it's now five of our win. It's actually Guardiola's worst run as a manager since 2009. You could argue it's been a relatively tough run of fixtures, but still, do you think there's cause for concern for City? Yes and no, in the sense of, you know when Dave said that stats in isolation can paint any picture that you want? Um, I think that five-game winless one is a similar one. They've had a fair few difficult games. Um, I think the cause for concern lies in how adaptable his approach is to the current squad and their abilities. And I think there are certain instances where they're not going to perform in as well-drilled a way that maybe the Bayern Munich team or the Barcelona team of of years gone by is, and that's going to be something he's going to have to try and work around is, does there ever come a point where he compromises his ideals for success and performance? They are still top of the table, of course, uh, Manchester City. To be fair to Guardiola, he withdrew Kevin De Bruyne, who's been the player of the season, arguably, uh, especially at the start of the season for Manchester City, brought on Kelechi Iheanacho, who maintains his remarkable scoring record. He's now scored eight times in his last 11 Premier League games for Manchester City. Uh, it's 11 goals in total from 17 shots on target in the Premier League, uh, which is quite uh, quite something, I think it's fair to say. Uh, they are top of the league, as I said, uh, closely followed by Arsenal, who remain in second place. Lawrence uh, failing to break down a resilient Middlesbrough side at home, drawing nil-nil. Yeah, frustrating for Arsenal because obviously they, uh, early on in the season, Arsenal fans all say this most seasons and they get mocked most seasons. Uh, but I think there is there are elements of belief that, and elements of hope, I think, also that this is a, a side who will do well. Um, they were frustrated by Middlesbrough for good reason. Middlesbrough played very well. They really didn't dominate the possession at all and managed to break very, very well. Um Arsenal went top of the league for a very short space of time and Arsenal paying his 67th birthday. And I think uh, with the way that Arsenal have been playing this season, you would, it was almost expected that they come up with a result like this at this point. I mean, if you look at the team that started uh, th- this game for Arsenal, Theo Walcott started, Meza Ozil started, um, both players, and Alexis Sanchez, obviously, um, all players who have been in good form recently for Wenger. You'd have hoped that they'd have scored a goal against the back line of Daniel Ayala, Ben Gibbs and George Friend and uh, Bar- Barajan. So, and Victor Valdez, obviously, in goal. So I I would say Arsenal have been frustrated here, but I think for good reason, because Middlesbrough played this one perfectly and Karanka came out very happy at the end of the game, basically saying that he thinks they deserved a point, um, but not nearly as much as they did last week. You couldn't help but feel, Chris, and I think I saw you tweet this out as well. Uh, they needed Olivier Giroud, potentially Arsenal, to, to come off the bench and help them break that deadlock. Yeah, they needed a target forward, basically. <clears throat> um, and I got a little bit of stick for saying that because some felt that I'd just criticise Arsenal. I don't like to give them credit. And yet, you know, I've said in previous weeks, when they play with Sanchez as a false nine, it works against high-caliber opposition. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> because it allows him a lot of space to operate in and try and unsettle the defence. Borough weren't really coming to do that. They were coming to, to not venture too far past the, the edge of their own penalty box. They wanted to essentially keep all of Arsenal in front of them, which was made easier by the fact that 
again, Sanchez can only really run in front, and, and I don't think is able to do something that spectacular with his back to goal. So at that point, you have to put someone in, like Olivier Giroud, maybe like Mario Icardi, um, who I think personally they should be trying to sign. Someone that's going to inhabit around the penalty spot area, that that sort of position, because then it means that basically what you can do is you can start to put crosses in. And I, I backed up my argument with the pass map for Arsenal in the final third. And if you look, there's next to none, if no crosses at all, and in general, there are no passes into the penalty area. Now, some of that could be uh, a slight trepidation about making that pass because Arsenal have a lot of talented midfielders and a lot of talented passes. I didn't see many who wanted to try and take that risk of just planting it in behind the back four. They wanted to find a really obvious route inside. And I just don't think Borough presented them one. I think, to be fair, Middlesbrough, they play quite well. The, the bat line kept very straight, very organised. It moved up together, it dropped back together, and it just made it very difficult for, for Arsenal to play. And I think some teams in a similar position to, to Middlesbrough in the table could take a lot of lessons from that. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you completely. They, it's always good to have that, that option off the bench, someone who's more direct, I don't think, just because you know it's seen as a demotion that Sanchez is playing ahead of him, that he's necessarily finished, as some Arsenal fans seem to be saying. But I'm sure they'll be welcoming him back from injury, especially when uh, they're up against opposition line winners, as you say, who are difficult to break down. A second, though, they are 20 points level with Lawrence Liverpool, mm. uh, another good performance uh, by Jurgen Klopp's team. They missed out on the top spot in the end, uh, but it was a good win for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I, I was impressed by the way that Liverpool attacked in this one, especially the front four of Coutinho, Firmino and uh, Mane, backed up by whoever, maybe Emre, Chan, maybe Lallana, maybe Henderson, whoever stepped forward from midfield. Um, it, works, it works very well as a system, but I think Liverpool will be most worried or disappointed that they didn't step forward from um, from uh, the 2-0 two, two and managed to make it more like 3 or 4 so that come the end of the game they weren't worried um, there are some positives in there, there are some, some negatives in there, obviously Liverpool again can see from another set piece which is disappointing for them um, and you'd hope that they would have done just better at, um, at, at this point um, and I also think when it comes down to the way that uh, Matip play at the back I think there's some real positives for him I think Karius is still under question as a goalkeeper but maybe that'll take some time to bed him in it cl- it's clear that uh, Klopp favours him at the moment wants him to bed in better um, and then later on Klopp clearly uh, made it his priority to sit back and uh, defend the 2-1 which I'll be interested to see um, how Liverpool do that t- going forward uh, Chan coming out of midfield was again a great revelation he feels like he do, can do even better in the next match I'm looking forward to seeing that um, and then Liverpool go on to play Tottenham next so I'm pretty fascinated to see how that one goes because Liverpool mm. rested a lot of players for the under 23s this weekend uh, including Danny Ings etc um, Grealish. I'll be interested to see if Klopp, Klopp rotates those guys in the other good news of course is that for Liverpool depend mm-hmm. on how you look at it of course yeah. Steven Gerrard's on his way back, maybe. Good maybe news. Not. I'm not always. Ex- I'm not always massively excited um, by uh, Gerard coming back because he sometimes brings back memories of um, just the old days when we didn't really do all that well. But um, hey, if Klopp welcomes <laughs> him, then Liverpool fans probably will end up welcoming him as well. 
And if yes, you, Klopp has said he's always welcome. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really have much other option, does he? But yeah. Assuming, I assume most Liverpool fans wouldn't want it to be in a playing role. They'd rather it be in a, in a behind-the-scenes role. Yeah, I mean, that's would be a distraction. I also just think maybe, um, yeah, that's part of it, is that, you know, Liverpool in the past have struggled from distractions that other ex-people, be that um, Shankly, etc., have sort of... Um, Bought to the club and Liverpool sort of outcast certain people. I don't think they want to outcast um, him, but I also think at the same time you probably want to uh, you probably want to have a good mix. Uh, I don't quite know what purpose he would serve. Mm. I sh- I he also couldn't well. do Gagan pressing. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I should say as well this this whole story about Jared Hudding does come from you know as as many stories do in modern football from his Instagram. He posted that living in Los Angeles and playing for the Great Galaxy has been a privilege. Uh, the club will always have a special place in my heart. Thank you. It's not necessarily saying he's going to leave. Some have taken it as a hint. Um, I mean, read into it, into it what you will at the end of the day. Um, but they have it. Gerard could be returning when his contract expires uh, at the end of next month, I believe. Um, Liverpool, though, in third place. Chelsea in fourth after they win today. Tottenham in fifth. On 19 points, nil nil at Bournemouth, Chris. Um, some people criticizing Spurs for, for failing to take uh, advantage and, and to win this game, but at the end of the day, they came up against a very good Bournemouth side, clearly buoyed with confidence after hammering Hull uh, last week. And at the end of the day, it took another fine Hugh Gullery save to, to secure the point, essentially. Yeah, it did. <clears throat> um... It's very difficult for me to analyse Spurs at the minute because I kind of focus on Moussa Soko when he plays. Um, you miss him so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, massive. He made an impact um, when he came on. Um, more of his elbow yeah, to Harry Arter's face. Than Harry Arter's cheek, if I remember right. Um, <laughs> it's... I, I have a, a belief or a theory or whatever you want to target it as that at the minute, whether it's Pochettino or the players specifically... They're just not playing the way Vincent Janssen needs them to play. And they're just doing him absolutely no favours. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of... <clears throat> and I don't think they're the the level-minded Spurs fans. I don't think that this is something that you're saying, Adam, for example, that Janssen is essentially the new Soldado. I don't think that is the case. I think he's getting next to no service and being asked to try and really make the most of a fairly few meagre opportunities that he does get. And I, it just surprises me that a club that has been so shrewd in the market sort of the last three, four years with the likes of Vertonghen and Eriksson and um, Alderweireld, and even Son, you could argue, bought a striker that they didn't seem set up to play to. Mm. Um, because he's not like Harry Kane. Yes, he can play the lone front role, but not in the same way. And it's it's a surprising naivety. Now, in fairness, there was the famous what was it, five or six that arrived after Gareth Bale left? And there was a lot of failures in there. But correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think the same people are buying the players now as was then. Um, no, yeah, Franco Baldini's long gone. Um, he was said to be the man behind, so those, behind those purchases. I think so it, it, it doesn't make sense. And, and I'm curious as someone that watches Spurs a lot more than I do, if you feel the same, if you feel there's any credence to that and, and how you potentially change it. I'm not sure. I think he was an interesting purchase in that he was potentially one of the few 
strikers potentially available in Spurs' budget that they could go for, essentially. I don't think there were many strikers out there that Spurs could afford. I think he was a good option. I mean, we've all seen his, his, his scoring record in the in the Eredivisie. Of course, it doesn't mean it translates to the Premier League. He's obviously having uh, confidence issues at the moment. I think most Spurs fans are treating him like Soldado in the fact that they desperately want him to score and they desperately want him to succeed. It was interesting in the Bournemouth game, Hyungmin Son struggled, uh, didn't really get any service, but struggled to, to impose himself on the Bournemouth team. When Janssen came on, he was more successful at holding up the ball, getting his foot on the ball, trying to lay it off. He didn't really have enough time to make an impact, unfortunately. Um, but I think when he does get a chance, he, he seems to play well but he's not having the impact that we'd, we'd like him to have. I think most Spurs fans are essentially counting down the days until Harry Kane returns because, you know, at the end of the day, we looked toothless up front, whether it was with Hummingson, whether it was with Janssen. We didn't make any clear-cut chances. We didn't trouble Fraser Forster too much, even though we sort of dominated at the start of the second half. So, again, another draw which, which cost us last season. Although we're undefeated, we've drawn four of those nine games. So... Hopefully, next week at home to Leicester, uh, we can get back on track with maximum points against a side who have lost all four of their away games. I don't expect Vincent Janssen will start that game, but hopefully, um, if he can come on in that game and get a goal, um, if we can win, I think that'd be a massive boost for him and for the team because without Harry Kane, we occasionally we do look uh, like we don't have the clinical edge essentially to, to put away some of the chances that we do create. But Leicester, let's see if we can beat them at home. Next week, they managed to get the win themselves, Lawrence. Uh, they're now 20 games unbeaten uh, after beating Palace 3-1 at home following their, their midweek Champions League win, of course. It's encouraging for them in the sense that, you know, it was a relatively comfortable win, um, although Palace threatened a somewhat unlikely comeback. But they rested Jamie Vardy, uh, showing they've got a little bit of depth in that squad, Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, they, they do they do have depth uh, in, in some senses. I mean... I think that they're still they don't have depth where it matters which is in the back line um but hey if you can outscore another side and stay up this season that's probably one of the, the bigger goals for them uh, i think crystal palace have bigger worries than less to do at this point uh whether Pardew can motivate that team whether he can get them um to perform in the way that he wants them to consistently and also whether his end um his end product is what you know what what, what he sets out to achieve, let's put it that way. Um, because I think they, you know, they can consistently try and put the ball on Benteke's head. They can have Balassi or whoever else break through. But at the end of the day, I think they need more than that in a game. Some games they'll probably win, but I think against more sophisticated sides, they're going to struggle. And if they're frustrated, then they'll, they'll have real problems. I, I, I do really like the front line of Leicester, having said that. And I especially mm. enjoy Christian, Christian Fuchs' goal. Uh, which yes. was contender Lovely for goal, goal of the month. It's a really clean strike. Lovely goal. Um, Palace and Leicester then mid-table, level on 11 points, separated only by a goal difference. Uh, elsewhere in the Premier League this weekend, Sunderland losing once again, Chris. Uh, 1-0 to West Ham. Uh, an injury time goal by Winston Reid, but there was an air of inevitability almost as they defended deeper and deeper Sunderland that West Ham were potentially going to nick it. There was. I mean, the thing is, Sunderland had chances. So Wabi Kazri had a really good chance just as the second half started. And yet for a good portion, it was very much Sunderland holding on and trying to just 
I wouldn't even say stem the flow of good chances as much as just try to win the ball back. That was the thing. Um, in terms of the game and Moyes, I wouldn't like Moyes as my manager personally. I find him very dour, <coughs> very I mean, uninspiring. He's just... There's nothing about him. I mean, you look at Sam Allardyce as a contrast. Mm. And you could debate whether they're in a worse position last season with the squad and everything and stuff that they had and opponents, etc. And there's a fairly ish decent argument to be made that Newcastle essentially kept them up. That it was a case of one of the one or the other was going to go down and Newcastle's own ineptitude kept Sunderland up. But then also there was that little few performances they had towards the back end of the season. They beat Everton at home, that was a good result, it was a good performance more importantly. And I just look at the way that Sam Allardyce handles a defeat and David Moyes handles a defeat and everything about David Moyes just feels like a rocket ship captain on a one-way ticket to the sun there's there's like an inevitability about doom that just seems to follow him whenever he talks I, I just can't help but feel sorry for, for David Moyes why because uh, he took the job though I don't, I don't I don't understand the feeling of he took the job you what exactly he was getting himself into no well not, maybe I think he did sort of come in and sort of go whoa you know? Not pity in particularly the the Sunderland job and uh, poor David Moyes didn't know what he was walking into. Just oh god, ever since he left Everton, it's just all gone horribly wrong. If he'd had I any sense, he would have waited for the Aston Villa job. But then, in fairness, I don't even think he would have turned that round in the way that Bruce is. I, mean, I think <laughs> I think honestly, he is a manager that looked much better ten years ago when teams were a lot more cavalier. That might be the thing, isn't it? That might be the thing. I mean, you mentioned Sam Allardyce there, though, Chris. There has been suggestions he could actually return. I mean, have you heard any rumblings about how genuine this is or do you think this is something that could actually happen? Or is this just a, a joke that is sort of potentially becoming reality? It, it, was, <clears throat> it was suggested as part of a potential takeover by Chinese investors. However, it's very difficult to sell a Premier League club when there's no guarantee you'll be a Premier League club in eight months time yeah very good point that's that's the difficulty they face now like I say and just to finish on Moyes for a second you look at when he was at Everton one of the things I remember he, he got a lot of credit for was the fact that he started to play like 4-5-1 he would have a holding midfielder and then four in front and then a striker that kind of typifies his career it's always been about containing rather than sort of overcoming Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and now they can't contain or overcome. Well, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, it's if let's just for argument's sake, because again, there was there were some people that made the point, and I think there's some validity to it. There's a potential call for offside on that goal with Winston Reid. Yep. Let's just say there isn't. The though. It's not. It's not offside. Well, let's just say that the linesman's feeling charitable and he flags, and it's given a nil-nil. You probably say that's a good point for them. It's a fairly decent result. And yet, now you look at it and you say, well, you know, they hardly really tried. So uh, defensive and sort of limiting in the way that they played. And it's, uh, to me, that's him in a nutshell, is that he's the kind of guy that, again, blames the players early on. I think I talked about this a few weeks ago. He went straight for the players early on, which I just did not understand because you're going to need them on side. Mm -hmm. And now he's talking about potentially looking for sort of January salvation. I'm sure most Sunderland fans will tell you, them across the road try to do that with John Joe Shelby and, and all that, and look how that turned out. It, there's 
absolutely no guarantees that it works. Yeah, it worked for Sam Allardyce. But even then, again, it goes back to that thing of how much of that was down to the fact that Newcastle were a disorganised circus of a club at the time. It does also mm. sort of... Uh, there, There is a feeling of inevitability, which Newcastle never... Re- I mean, Newcastle did have that, but I think at the same time, with Moyes, he almost allows the sense of inevitability to form around the way that the team's playing. It's, it's unusual. It's unusual. Let's just put it, it's, it's unusual for managers to go in and go, yeah, we're going down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even even Phelan, put this way, even Mike Phelan hasn't gone down that route. All right? It's more positive than David Moyes. Yeah. Um, Someone compared him to Villa, and I thought that's, that's a fairly apt comparison at this moment. The difference is they've got few... time to turn it around. And also yes. owners who thought they were taking it in the right direction, although actually, yeah, sorry, that comparison works perfectly. Mm. The final few Premier League games to discuss then, David Moyes, former club, Everton, losing 2-1 at Burnley. Bit of a, a smash and grab this one. Um, Burnley winning uh, to take them three points clear of the relegation zone. Everton dominated, but sort of simply failed to find a breakthrough, really. They're now winless in their past five games. Burnley, however, though, Lawrence, I mean, all of their points at home this season, all 10 of them, Turf Moor is going to be critical to their survival. Yeah. And it's a great win, essentially, for, for Sean Dyke. A really great win. I think uh, Sean Dyke said it himself that he he was he was very proud of the win. He felt that they deserved a result in the previous week as well. And, and maybe um, he also felt there is, they maybe didn't deserve this result. Maybe a point was more of a fair one. And in, in a match that Everton dominated possession, they dominated shots, and they dominated uh, a lot of the other uh, chances as well um, and so uh, you know I, I think that especially when it comes down to playing games at home you, if you're going to be in what you perceive to be a relegation battle come the end of the season then you, you're probably you're probably doing something right if you're grabbing uh, grabbing a, a, a win at home to Everton next they come up away against Manchester United um, and then they got a very winnable home game against uh, Palace and then they go away to West Brom and then they're at home to Man City and then away to Stoke. So I'd say out of that, if they come away with six points at the end of that, and they'll probably be happy with that mm. run, which will, you know, essentially I think is 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 where they should be. Um, and that'll probably still keep them above the drop zone because they've got some teams well below them at that point who just won't be able to catch up. Swansea drawing nil-nil at home uh, to Watford, Chris, uh, still in 19th, uh, but it's Bob Bradley's first point as Swansea manager He's spoken about improving the confidence at the club. I think he needs to do that. The, the confidence at the club is a major issue. Um, <clears throat> it's it's an interesting debate to have in football in general, though, the idea of how fragile is a, an athlete or a footballer's confidence. Because I think... <coughs> excuse me. You, you need to... I think you need to assess situations very well, and I think he has the ability to do that, which is important. Because there are times that, yes, you do need to show compassion and empathy to the players. There are also times where you need to essentially have a go at them. Um, and if he can read those situations right, I think he can find success. But I, I don't think it's um, unfair to say that really confidence is a major metric for them and or a major factor for them in terms of improving things. Hmm. They, they looked good at Arsenal last week, though. He made five this week. I mean, if you... So they've improved already under Bradley. Can you see them climbing up the table? I think they've improved. I think I can see them um, climbing up the table. I think, I think in some regards they'll t- they may possibly take confidence from the decisions and the way he 
makes them. So, for example, he talked about in his press conference after that he picked, uh, let me just pull it up. I know Alfie Mawson was one of them, but he picked the centre-backs, essentially, or the centre-back pairing, more specifically, with the threat of, of Odi and Igalo, because he knows that Igalo is a physical striker. He likes to, to hold the ball up, that kind of thing. And Alfie Mawson has a, a mostly, if not exclusively, lower league um, history in the game. He's played for Barnsley and Brentford and Wickham and people like that. Now, I thought that was quite a shrewd move. Um, again, I don't think it's redefining the game. Um, and a lot of people thought I was heaping needless praise on him when I tweeted about it. <clears throat> but I think it's a good way to read the situation and adapt to it. Now, there's a chance that because they got that nil-nil, because they kept that clean sheet, the players take confidence from that. And they look at the fact that he's assessing the situations properly because a lot of the time your confidence can stem from whether the person at the top is actually competent at their job. You know, that that applies not just to football, that applies to everything. I'm sure it's the same in, in your offices and, and all that kind of thing. <clears throat> so I think, yeah, he can definitely get them up the league. It's about building that momentum and continuing the slow steps. They just need to finish one or two. That's a, that's all I think that's really stopping them at this moment. It's all that stopped mm. them against Watford was a decent finish. Finally, Hull losing 2-0 at home to Stoke City. Things continue to go downhill for Mike Feed and Lawrence, but things looking up for Stoke. Shakiri's double lifting Mark Hughes' side out of the bottom three, uh, securing back-to-back wins for the first time this season. Correct, yeah. Uh, although the way that Mark Hughes lines that team up sometimes does look like they kind of line up and hope that one of the players will do something a bit good like Shakiri did this week. Um, two fantastic goals. He's relying on that magic. We did sort of say, I mean, Mark Hughes sort of said post-match, uh, oh, you know, we, we he does that in training, so we sort of expect it. And you're a bit like, really? That's what you, you go into a game thinking that's going to happen? Okay. Um, and then I, I guess also with Hull, you say things are getting worse for, my, worse for Mike Phelan, but 2 nil's not that bad. Um, I mean, it's, it's slow and steady. Oh, I mean, right? you know, things definitely aren't getting better. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, think well, they are, though, because, I mean, if you look at uh, Hull's previous results, then... Um, <laughs> what, to not lose 6-1 again? Not use, yeah, exactly. I mean, you might get some entertainment out of that, Adam, but ultimately... True. Think, hey, you're right. You, have to, <laughs> you yeah, are right. I also think, though, you have to then look at Hull's fixtures to come, because, I mean, I know I'm looking through a lot of bloody fixtures here they won they lost six ones against uh bournemouth but then i suppose it does go up and down doesn't it yeah in fact look at it, it does go up and down so it's gone one all uh between burnley and hull city then it went four one to arsenal then it went two one to hull city against stoke um, yeah was, that was in the efl so technically it just felt that was um it just felt because they're at home and stoke although they uh, were coming off the back of a win they haven't exactly been uh, massively impressed this season it felt like that could have been a chance to kind of maybe stop the rot maybe even if it was just a point you know, um, because now, as you say, they've got, uh, they're playing Watford away next. Southampton at no, home. No, they're not. They're actually playing Bristol away next. Um, oh, yeah. In the, in the EFL. In the, um, in the EFL. Yeah. So it's still a game, Adam. They're still going to have to feel the side out there. And um, that's part of the problem is I actually think it's, it's going to be about endurance for Hull this season. I'm not joking. I think it is going to be about endurance. They need to no, is. play their games and, and, and be very wise with where they try and get their points. I think a lot of managers speak about this when they're trying to stay up. And it's a, it's a very difficult um, mentality for a manager to foster because you, you set a certain number of games aside that you think, look, we can win these. And then the rest are surplus points. Um, at least some managers do that. Anyway, I think that the worrying side for that is that, you know, Hull are even going to get worn out 
in some of the other games because the intensity of the football, maybe a few seasons ago when it was, you know, conservative draws in the Mourinho and Benitez era of football, when things were a bit slower and, you know, it wasn't so in, wasn't the same in, kind of intensity of pressing, those sort of things. You could afford to do that, but it, it's different now. And I think it's hard for a manager to cope. However, they do have some matches that they can get results in. They probably can get a result at Watford, at Southampton, no question, but Sunderland, then they play West Brom, then they play Middlesbrough, then they play Palace. There's a good run of games there that they can get some points from and some results. That is your Premier League review then, guys. That is the Premier League wrapped up next. Wrapping. They're going around Europe, looking at some of the big games. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Some of the big results from around the continent. To steal a line from Lawrence, let's go to Italy. Not literally. Oh, very good. So I do like that one. Um, Guys, AC Milan beat Juventus for the since 2012 to close the gap at the top of Serie A to two points. Lawrence? Love a bit, of, love a bit of Syria, and I love. I give massive, massive fan of Milan from back in the day. So I was really upset when things started to go down the toilet for them. Um, they are now beginning to look like uh, they've got a semblance of what they want to do. I think there's a bit of confidence around the club, but they're also still quite fragile in the sense that um, you know they're they're still not the same powerhouse that they were before, and I think they realise. Um, they realise this. The new investment has sort of uh, given them a bit more confidence and maybe a bit more stability in the long run. They can now go out there and challenge people at the very top. Um, I will be interested to see how long this lasts, sort of how long uh, how, how long Milan can sustain this for because, you know, they do still have quite a few young players out there and it was one of the young players who's bringing them forward that um, got them the result in the end. Locatelli, Locatelli, I don't know which way to say it but I like it and Chris was saying uh, post game Chris his reaction was just it was quite sweet really it was and <clears throat> he basically said that I've scored a goal against the best goalkeeper in the world and he just seemed in complete disbelief at what he'd achieved and he was thanking his parents his grandparents all his family and everything and this comes after he scored his first goal in Serie A he broke down in tears afterwards in the yeah. post match interview so He's clearly sort of, he's clearly overawed by the situation, but in the right way, if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. And I mean, a lot of the credit, of course, there's been a lot of talk about uh, the new manager, Vincenzo Montella, he's come in and he's sort of, he sort of brought through a few of the young players like Locatelli. Obviously, they already had Donnarumma, there's Suso there as well. A lot of talk, though, Chris, that AC Milan all of a sudden title challenges after this win. Juventus, though, of course, are still going to be the favourites, having won the past five in a row. 
I mean, do you think Milan are realistic titles for the Scudetto, or do you think we should be downplaying those expectations? Maybe the fans should be content with the the, the rebuilding job almost that Montella's doing and be satisfied with these sort of performances. I think they can take immense confidence and pride from it because look, they've they've beaten a team that has dominated Italian football domestically for the last few years. I think in terms of saying title challenge and all that thing, I think that's where you kind of guard the confidence. And essentially, if if you do sort of announce that, okay, this is our title challenge, I think that puts a lot of needless pressure on the group. I think in, in many regards, they benefited a little bit from playing with the freedom of lacking expectations. So keep fostering that. Keep Keep approaching it as if, you kind of didn't win against Juventus and that, you know, things are, are still in a building process and that that will make it, I think, not only easier to enjoy the highs, it'll also make it easier to ride the bumps, which I think mm. invariably they will face during the course of the season. A big win for AC Milan. And I think, as you said, Lawrence, everyone remembers them being such a great historic story design. It'd be great to see them, maybe if not challenging for the title this season, see them up towards that end of the table um, because it's been a disappointing few years for them. Why don't we move on to Italy? Like, uh, oh, fucking hell. Why don't we move on to Spain, though? Because it was a big week, some big results there. No, it is not by the way. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Dad, sorry for swearing. Uh, Valencia 2, Barcelona 3. Let's start there because as well as a last-minute messy winner, essentially, a lot of controversy around this one. Do you want to explain why, to those who may have missed it? Like, what kind of controversy are you talking about here, Adam? There was a certain, uh, well, there was a certain projectile that seemed to be thrown uh, from the, the Valencia fans who didn't seem, seemed a little bit aggrieved with the Barcelona players celebrating in front of them. Yeah, that um, was part of it, yeah. I, I thought it was quite comical, though. The, I mean, obviously, I've never been hit with a plastic ball. I can't say how much it hurts, but it seemed to, Messi seemed to bear the brunt of it. He, he stayed standing. He seemed to be fine. Neymar got Neymar got hit. Got hit. I mean, he went down. The, Suarez the went down. Mascherano the went down. Sinister slash quite comical. Um, yeah, because obviously you see sort of the you know the the more um, how can I put it? Uh, um, dominoes. They went one. Yeah, they all went down. But then the more sort of um, the, the tougher players from the group sort of stay up, and then. <laughs> The, the the Neymars and the Suarez's go down and, you know, Mascherano is still quite a tough cookie, but, you know... You know Messi it, was the one who had a few choice words for the uh, for the offending fans. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously there's there's going to be some um, anger uh, towards Barcelona. I think Valencia are also one of those sides who see themselves as being able to compete at the very uh, top, and I think they sort of resent the fact that they aren't seen very often there. Um, but ultimately, I think that the whole point is that you know, Barcelona got out of what was a very hostile atmosphere with a 3-2 win. Um, and I imagine that Valencia will be dealt with by the league. You'd imagine so. Um, a good win, though, for Barcelona to come back uh, to win that one. It takes them up to third in the table. They're two points now behind Real Madrid, who go top after being Athletic Bilbao 2-1. Atletico Madrid, though, Chris, losing 1-0 to surprise title challengers Sevilla. Uh, what did you make of this one? I didn't see it. Excellent. Uh, Lawrence, did you manage to catch this one? I mean, of course, some of the highlights, yeah. Um, but ultimately, uh, I think the whole point is that uh, Sevilla got away with the win. Uh, Atletico 
uh, will be disappointed. There's too many very close um, results this season for Atletico uh, Madrid. And, you know, as much as... And we've said this before on the podcast, is they, they need to be scoring more. Koke uh, also will be disappointed um, that he, he got um, a second red uh, yes. in 15 minutes. Um, and also just that uh, the changes of bringing on Torres for Gamero um, will be... You know, I mean, essentially, Stephen and Zonzi went and scored not uh, just seven minutes after that. So I think they'll they'll be disappointed uh, ultimately. Mm. And I think it takes Sevilla top of the league. That's the most important thing. And it's also that uh, Sevilla are fast becoming one of the the, the more uh, interesting sides in the league because of what they're achieving again on their very sort of fixed uh, small budget uh, compared mm. to everyone else at the very top there. And they they are above everyone else now. Sam and Nasri, the revelation. <laughs> for Sevilla um, very impressive so far this season alongside Steven and Zonzi um, so it's quite a midfield yeah. pair uh, they've got there um, but Sam Nasri arguably the most informed Manchester City player uh, at the moment um, yeah. Villarreal as well uh, winning 2-1 against Las Palmas did you see Las Palmas's goal? I no, believe it was a good goal? Kevin, you've got to see this goal I believe it was scored by Kevin prince Boateng. oh my um, man Kevin Prince Boateng is one a person who in real life doesn't look real. Like he looks like he's been carved. Oh. <laughs> he uh, he managed to score a pretty spectacular scissor kick, I'd say. But that was to cap off I did a see move this. that involved yeah. yeah the very quick short passes yeah. in and around the box, a back heel flick over the top. Yeah, that was lovely, Boateng. wasn't it? Yeah, probably goal at the weekend, but it is a contender at least. Um, so that's how the league is shaping up anyway right now. Uh, the French League, we haven't talked about yet this season. In El Clasique, looks like it wasn't much of a classic nil-nil uh, between PSG and Marseille. I'm sure everyone's making that joke. Uh, did you manage to El catch any of this one? Did no, you know, mate, I don't watch it? French football because uh, it's hard enough to watch. Um, but Well, French people. Um, but it's it, it still... <laughs> It's still even then. Yeah, even then they're sort of going there with little uh, little streams of other things going on. Uh, maybe a TFR live stream. Um, but ultimately, it, it, the the main reason we're speaking about Liga this week is that uh, at the very top, it's not PSG who are top. Um, it is indeed Nice uh, with Monaco second and PSG in third, six points off the top, um, and not even with the best goal difference in the league. So PSG mm. are really struggling at the moment to get. Um, to get those results, uh, I mean, Chris Barney missed a sitter. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you that much. That sounds like Barney. Um, yeah. have, have you managed to catch much PSG so this season, Chris? Because at the start of the season, Unai Emery moving there, uh, there seemed to be such high hopes. Obviously, winning the Europa League three uh, consecutive times will to be a, a manager of pedigree, almost taking a next level in terms of domestic football, at least. Um, to take on PSG. Signing Krajowiak, you know, despite the loss of Ibrahimovic, there seemed to be hope that they would be able to to maybe build a more cohesive team, a team that would arguably be even more comfortable in the league. But it hasn't quite worked out that way yet, has it? No. So essentially, for the last few years with with Ibrahimovic and Cavani, Cavani sort of asked, stroke demanded to be the central striker positionally <clears throat> and for a long time they just didn't indulge him they did when Zlatan was out I think because again it was much easier to facilitate um, was it and so in the departure of Zlatan the thought was okay we'll now give Cavani that central role and we'll see what he can do and essentially 
it flitted between, yes, he scored some goals, he could be a little bit of a flat-track bully now and again, but he also missed a lot of chances and was quite poor. And um, I can't take credit for having this opinion entirely formed my, by myself. Andrew Gibney, someone who does a lot on, on French football. He's, um, a, he's a good voice to follow, actually. If you don't follow him on Twitter already, then he does know his stuff about he's, it. He's got very strong opinions as well, which I kind of admire, because when you do that, you can often put yourself out to look a bit of a fool but I've yet to see him look stupid about French football um, which I think is a testament to his, his knowledge and understanding of it and he's kind of said that you know Cavani's just not very good he's he's not that elite forward he's not the elite striker and if you look at his numbers that's kind of backed up realistically by chance conversion and, and all these metrics that, that we look at to, to kind of work that out I think that's the problem is that they presumed that Cavani could fill the void left by Zlatan I, I don't think he ever is I don't think he ever will um, they really need for me a, a talismanic signing that is going to sell those shirts and it's funny we talked about was it was it rumour rated the other week where we talked about Neymar mm. going to PSG Yeah. you look at him and you think that's the guy that's got to be realistically and yet there's a large part of me feels like any talk of Neymar to PSG that is even remotely fanned by him is a great way for him to get an extra 10, 20,000 euros a month. I mean, to off. be fair, um, not, not long he after did. he did that, yeah, he, we did it, he did actually get an updated contract. Yeah. He played it well. Um, Very well. So and if anything, we aided him, so we deserve a cut. Yes. Yeah, we do. I think that's only fair. I think he's um, got enough people demanding a cut. Good point. <laughs> His dad probably gets, what, 60% or something? He gets, he gets a fair whack. Um, but guys, that is how the French League is shaping up Allegedly. at the moment. Um, some of the big stories from around Europe. Before we go, let's look ahead to some of the midweek fixtures um, because the EFL Cup is coming up and there's some tasty ones in there. Fantastic. Um, before we get on to the big ones, let's start with Newcastle. Oh, Newcastle, insulting, you know, Adam. Very, ooh, rubbing salt into Chris's wounds. Well, I mean, the ones that are dominating the headlines. Let's start with the shit ones, ones, shall we? Yeah. No, no, no. I didn't mean that at all, aren't you? You've, is it inferring? I mean, well, I'm not inferring, mate. I'm just literally taking your words and saying them back to you. <laughs> Chris, the biggest game midweek, undoubtedly, Newcastle United versus Preston. Um, for those who aren't aware of how Rafa's doing down in championship with the Tsunami at the moment, what's their form like going into this one? Uh, fantastic. The £30 million that we banked selling Moose's Zorgo to Spurs really helped. Um, <clears throat> he's, he's building a, a team, and I mean that both figuratively and literally. So he's managing the squad very well. He's making it so the the rotation doesn't seem to come at a cost at all. If anything, it actually seems to keep everyone fresh. And if everybody wants to start, understandably. But then I think where it's also seeming to not cause any problems is normally that can, can destabilise a lot of players. Actually, it seems to be building an understanding between all of them that they all have a part to play and that they all have a role, which is, again, great. That There's really nothing major to complain about. They're not playing I would say scintillating stuff for the full 90 minutes yet they're producing enough that when they need that moment of sort of what I guess you would consider Premier League quality they just do it so they scored after a minute against Ipswich and then they flicked between couldn't find each other and could put together some decent exchanges and the next thing you know bump 2-0 just, just as kind of there was even a start sort of small inkling that Ipswich might start something bang 2-0, bang 3-0 it's it's a very good start and they've recovered from that poor start I don't know if they'll 
run away with it in the way that some neutrals predicted. I think there's a good chance they win it. In fact, even Mick McCarthy said that. He said he doesn't think yeah. he'll play a better team this season. Which is a decent compliment. Yeah, yeah no, it really is. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how Rafa manages all of all of these different matches. It will be interesting to see. Yeah, I think prediction. he's given everyone a lot of respect as well. I think, I mean, that's in keeping with his personality. Um, but I don't, I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think he underestimates anyone that he's faced so far. And I found it interesting. I was watching the the five Channel Five Football League show, whatever its its official title is. Yeah. And they had Barnsley's manager on. And Newcastle just played Barnsley on Tuesday, and he said, kind of, you know, we threw everything at them and got nothing. So. It's it's hard not to be buoyed by that and, and feel confidence from the fact that teams that are in good form like Barnsley, when you go there, they feel as if they gave everything and it was still a fairly cut and dry game in your favour. Mm. Score prediction, Chris, for this one. Newcastle, Preston. It's a tough one, Preston, Preston 3-2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after all that. Yeah. Pre- pre- I mean, to be fair, Preston had a cracking result at the weekend. There's no... And you look at some of the results they've had. They beat Huddersfield. Um, I think they beat Villa as well. So they've beaten some of the really bigger named or the more successful teams this season. And Villa. Um, so maybe 1-0. The thing is, they, so this is a bit weird. In the last round, they played Wolves. And they had just played Wolves in the league. The same applies again. They're playing Preston midweek and then Preston again at the weekend. So... I would probably be able to give you a better prediction once I'd seen the respective teams and knowing how much each man's going to rest their respective squad. Very good point. That is a problem with the EFL, isn't it? It's too logical. Way too I think, logical. I think a narrow win, Newcastle. But again, I wouldn't... Equally, I'm not going to be surprised or cry if come Tuesday night it's 1-0 Preston. It would be unusual if he cried, yeah. <laughs> not again, anyway. uh, Leeds... United also in action. Lawrence yeah. taking on Norwich City. Yes, Norwich City in quite the form. Mm. Yes. When I say quite the form, uh, I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, but when, um, what I mean is uh, that when, when looking at Norwich this season, uh, obviously they actually did lose to Preston at the weekend, which was uh, what Chris was referring to, which is why it was such a good result. Um, before that, they were doing impressively apart from against Newcastle, which is why Newcastle and Preston are the more dominant sides in that league. Um, I, I'm going to be interested to see, because also I think a lot of people are believe uh, have a bit of belief in the resurgence of Leeds, who obviously got um, a win against Wolves on the weekend as well. Um, so it sets up both sides quite nicely. Um, in this one, I'm going to go for Norwich shading this one, uh, even though it is a trip up to Leeds. I, think, I still think Norwich will shade it because of the football. There's an interesting duality between what well, I feel like I've seen with the fans as well. Some who, guys like uh, Talk Norwich City, Jack Reeve, who were yeah, kind of... Yeah, you were tweeting him on the weekend, weren't you? Yeah, who who weren't looking to kind of panic and, you know... he It was interesting, he almost resigned himself to the fact that Newcastle won the league. And he thinks as long as... We, he said as long as we finish second, that's all that matters. Yeah. And yet I also saw Norwich fans saying, we need to get rid of Alex Neal. He's really not very good. Wow. Uh, which is unusual. Bold. It's unusual. And they did spend a bit in the summer as well. That's that's the other thing, is that for all people saying Newcastle spent 50 million, they were still, I think, plus 30 million in profit once they'd sold all the wasters. Whereas everyone else had bought players with with minimal sales. I don't think Norwich sold anyone of no... 
I don't think Villa sold anyone of note. And yet, they all spent a decent amount of money. I mean, while we're in the championship, we should also talk about Huddlesfield, Huddersfield as well, who also got a 1-0 win uh, against Derby County on the weekend. Um, I really like Huddersfield. And I really like David Wagner. <laughs> yeah, mainly because of what he did to uh, <laughs> what he did to Steve McLaren, who's now back at Derby, as we all know. Oh, I just... You know what it is? He, when he celebrates... David Wagner, and he comes on the pitch and all this kind of thing. It can be a little bit like, this is very classless, like this is all a little bit small time. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of listen to him talk, and you're like, oh, he's, he is an engaging character. There's, you can see why him and Klopp get on. Yeah. Yeah. That's partly what I thought. And in the, the celebrations at the weekend, it, it could have been Klopp in disguise. Do you know, he was wearing a cap, he was wearing the, the, the tracksuit. It, it all looked very Klopp-esque. Basically, yeah. yeah. Speaking of Klopp, Lawrence, of course. Yeah. yeah. Liverpool taking on Three Tottenham on Tuesday night. Yeah. 3 0, you're saying. Yeah. Um, uh, you said to make some changes to the side. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. Uh, certain players who could be uh, featuring. Who are you most excited to see potentially feature for the Reds? Uh, I mean, they, they've, I, I'm quite looking forward to seeing Danny Ings, uh, Marco Grijic. Uh, I think they've got a couple of other guys who've been rested in there who are maybe also recovering from injuries. I'll be interested to see who he plays in the back line, mainly because, um, you know, he, he said, uh, I think post-match or maybe on Sunday after asked by a journalist, he basically doesn't have, he doesn't have any respect for the guys who don't respect uh, Liverpool's defensive efforts this season. And I think he does sort of struggle with those guys who um, criticise it because it is also a process, obviously. Um, I, I'll be interested to see Danny Ings and Alike and a couple of other guys yes. who have been in the under-23 squad. Looking forward He's to seeing them. He's been in good form, hasn't he? For the- he has, actually. And you know what? Danny Ings has, has never really sort of let Liverpool down in that sense because he's... Um you know, he's obviously recovered from an injury. Um, Gomez is also back. I don't know if he'll feature, but he's, he's back in first team uh, training now. So let's see what kind of uh, squad Klopp puts out there. It will be interesting to see because obviously it's against another side who uh, seems that it's, it's almost like a mini sort of competitive derby between uh, Klopp and Poch because hmm. both their styles of football are matched up quite nice and seem to come from a similar school. Um, so I'll be interested to see what they do. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping Janssen maybe gets a start for Spurs. Maybe she likes of maybe Josh Onoma might get a start. That'd be nice. But uh, even if Liverpool lose, even if Spurs lose, I mean, it, it does seem again more of that uh, opportunity to showcase the youth lines. I mean, do, do you care much about the EFL Cup, really? Uh, I think I think a new manager will always think a little bit about winning. Uh, some uh, silverware, but I don't really care about the League Cup. If I'm completely honest. Uh, I mean, who realistically there are very few. It's kind of, yeah, it's does. kind of the. It also finishes so early in the season. Almost it's almost forgotten yeah. come the end of the season, which I find so unusual. Um, it's, it sort of finishes in March, which is what makes I'm it just so weird. For any, I'm just hoping for some exciting games this this week. Essentially, um, Liverpool Tottenham. We'll see if that is one of them. West Ham Chelsea uh, is a potentially uh, a potentially fiery one. Lawrence, is this uh, apparently there's some sort of is this the first time the police are going to be at the game or uh, the stadium or something like that? I've heard the first time that police are going to be at the stadium. A certain a certain police presence, I've heard. Uh, am I making this up? Am I just am I just making this up? Uh, no, I, ima- I imagine that is probably true. Um, yeah, uh, but I mean, it is it isn't going to be the friendliest matches is it, of matches, is it? And. Whoever wins it, I'm well, delighted to announce it's Kestrel Unit. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, 
they're going to be inside the ground, apparently. Um, or a bunch of nostrils. Police have not been present so far because of lack of radio facilities at the London Stadium. But for this tie, they'll be able to communicate with a control vehicle on the stadium perimeter. Adam, where are you you getting this boring information from? (laughs) Sorry, I just thought it'd be interesting to tell you about the uh, police staffing of the... Was it not interesting telling you the staffing of the police staffing of West Ham Chelsea? Yeah. Adams follows police news. Yeah. <laughs> you don't follow that on Twitter. Are you serious? Police underscore news. Yeah. Police Bible. <laughs> I'm definitely extreme that. Hello. That is the next uh, branch of the Bible. At the, poli- at the police republic. At uh, at police daily. Uh, police we, uh, yeah. Yeah. At police street. Bitch, yeah. Are we expecting a? I mean, of course, West Ham won the weekend. It was a, a last-minute goal, as we said earlier. Chelsea on form. We're expecting a comfortable Chelsea win here. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Just, just for the lulls. Just for the lulls. Yeah, just... um, the final game, of course, uh, is Manchester United, Manchester City. Uh, we spoke about earlier being, you know, a chance for Jose Mourinho to potentially arrest uh, the poor form and, and relieve himself of some of the pressure he's finding himself under. Same, it could be said for Guardiola as well. Again, I feel like it's not a priority for both managers, though, Chris, and even if one side or the other does win it, I know that a certain narrative will be constructed, as Lawrence might say, but oh, wow. <laughs> surely this is not a defining game for either side. Get your own no, it's not. It's just a good laugh, isn't it? It's just a good laugh. That's Essentially, it's it's a what do you call it? It's one of those. I don't even know if there's like a phrase for it in English. Like, it's it's just a game to score mental Goal. points. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hopefully, it'll be entertaining. It's, I don't really care about the competition to be honest. I'm just hoping for some good entertaining games, good it's young also, talent. Yeah, it's, it's the perfect time for it to come along for for some of these matches, yeah. and also the worst time for it to come along. Uh, I feel like this was the competition that uh, Paul Scholes got his debut in. It did, probably a number of players who got out there. I mean, you know, it is a good competition to to put young kids out in. Before we go tonight, um, can we just spare a thought for Victor and Achebe? Why? Um, Absolutely not. <laughs> Chris, I don't know uh, this is going. Where is this going? To Victor and Achebe, can you just explain his? I think it's fair to call it a social media blunder. What happened? So Victor, in his infinite wisdom, must have been sent an email or a text from the social media department saying, you know, tough result yesterday. Can you just tweet out? Um, I already know where this is going. Thanks for your Great effort by the lads. Hard result to take, but we go again. And um, he copied the message verbatim. <laughs> and so it read, can you just tweet out? <laughs> Thanks for your support. <laughs> oh, <dear>. <laughs> <laughs> it just says, can you tweet something like that? <laughs> I, I think he's tried to explain it away uh, uh, on his Twitter account by saying that he'd, he'd said it to a family member, he says. He'd said to a family member, um, can, you, can you just tweet something like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> And they, so he might be trying to express himself. It probably was, you know, I like to think it was him. I like to think it was him as well. Yeah, he's trying so to blame it on. He's 32 10 or something and didn't have Twitter. Yeah. I oh. love that. That's, 
Big Trinity, baby. Yeah, mate, do you Ladies. think you can just tweet something? Put something a bit like, yeah, I'll put something a bit like, and then I'll put, what other words should I put? Wait, Victor, what are you typing? Nothing. It's just, it's just like such an inoffensive, normal thing for football to see. Oh, tough to feed today, mate. Just managed to completely mess it up. Um, copy, sent. So yeah, you messed up the copy and paste. Um, oh, can we also very quickly mention MLS? Because obviously there's something big going on in MLS did right now, right, Chris? It's just finished. FC Dallas are your supporters shield champions. Very richly deserved, I think we've played some lovely stuff. Um What is the supporters Seattle, shield? What, what what the fuck is it? Seattle that? made it into the playoffs at the expense of their fierce rivals Portland, who actually are the current MLS Cup champions, and it's the first time in MLS history that neither the current holders nor the runners up have made it into the playoffs the following season. Hmm. Little things like that where you come to this bloody podcast. And Bradley Wright Phillips has won the Golden Boot. And can you guess who he beat out to do that? Uh, David Villa. He did indeed. Bloody hell. Oh, yeah, you're right. By by two goals. Oof, David Villa will be a bit annoyed, won't he? Be a bit Um, annoyed. (laughs) He'll be, oh, I tell you what, David Villa will be a bit annoyed. He'll be vexed. (laughs) Bloody thanks. Oh, no, I, I think I'm a bit annoyed. Bradley. Um, Two seasons in I'm a row. Sure he'll be tremendously proud of that. And, he, and so he should be. That's a very good return. Yeah. 24 goals. And he's still not getting offers from other countries. But why would he want them? Well, he's, he's yeah. fine. He's doing fine. Well, maybe he's getting he's... offers and he's turning them down. I mean, it's a lovely lifestyle in New York. It is. You do think that. Why would you not want to go to New York and live there as a footballer? It must just be amazing because also you basically live like an absolute baller because you've got so much money. But at the same time, you are known by relatively, and I mean relatively, few people. Thierry Henry said that. He said one of the things he appreciated off the field about playing in MLS was the anonymity. Yeah, exactly. I I feel the same about YouTube. (laughs) <laughs> you've got um, I'm sure you get do you get notice more in the street now Lance now you're on on the Geordie podcast is I it? Do, well, no it's not the Geordie podcast um, oh, you know what's funny is it's less me yeah it is actually um, and it is uh, the funny thing was I was walking in Winchester the other day with my dad and a kid was walking down the street and he went Lawrence and it wasn't the kid or me that suggested that their photo should be taken it was my dad he was like uh, yeah yeah you should do, you two should take a photo and I was like dad you should definitely uh, I mean it's uh, I'm not saying it disparage me he's got obviously naturally he's got a big viewership you know he's got a lot of views and that downloads you know I just wondered if you know you're getting asked to tell people on the street or if your dad's just setting them up yeah because now they can see you you know it's not like a podcast where here you have to go and look us up if you want to see what we look like no that is a very <laughs> yeah which, which is always weird FYI I just type Ryan Gosling in yeah. and pretty much got it <laughs> yeah <laughs> bang on I love the idea now that someone's going over to Ryan in Hollywood going yeah I love you on the front three Chris <laughs> didn't um, agree with our Chelsea evaluation though prick <laughs> Yeah, you do have a bit of I a funny I'm, accent like guys on that note let's bring an end uh, to this weekend's podcast thank you so much for listening to the front three we're going to be back on Wednesday of course to talk about all the EFL action until then though Chris where can the whole find more of you on my Twitter page at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E and occasionally at the front three number three love it 
A lot of tweets coming out from, from Chris this week under the Front Free account. Uh, it's very, so it is very good. It's good. Sure. They're good tweets. They are good tweets. Um, Lawrence, do you do good tweets that would be worth seeing for the whole if they're not already following you on I'm Twitter? massive in the retweet game. Uh, mm. If yeah, my retweets bang. Uh, so at Lost Cast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T to see my banging retweets. And what about you, Adam? Beautiful. You can follow me at Adam Boltwood on Twitter. You can also find me, Lawrence, and Chris over on the Football Republic on YouTube. You can also find us on the Front Free on YouTube as well. Do that. You can also find Dave. And Dave, of course. And Dave, we'll and Dave, and Dave talks. And um, you know what is interesting is we're, we're going to start a new strand of the podcast with Dave, specifically for Dave Talks. That's exciting Ooh. news. That's just broken right here. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? Imagine that. Seismic. Seismic. Uh, we'll talk about that off the podcast. Uh, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Breaking on Woo! and off the podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening to The Front Free. If you enjoyed it, do go and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps other people find us. Uh, until Wednesday, uh, have a good week. Week? Bye. Bye. Bye.